I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey, it's Arlen. This is a bonus episode. All right, bonus episodes where I can talk about anything I want or I can interview anyone I want or I can just have like white noise for like 30 minutes and it's a bonus episode and I do what I want. I like that. It's fun. The last bonus episode was with the presidential candidate, so I think we'll keep that going as much as we can. This bonus episode is actually a throwback. In late 2017, I interviewed a woman named Therese Tucker. Therese Tucker is the founder of a company called Blackline, which is an accounting SaaS company that has IPO'd in the billions and they were bootstrapped. So it's bootstrapped to a billion. And when I first heard about her story, I couldn't believe that more people didn't know her and that she wasn't more, you know, you talk about this uh, Forbes article that came out and no shade to Forbes because Forbes is you know, it's an institution and, and I dig it and I dig the writers, but they they misstepped here. They messed up here. They put this innovation list out of 100 innovators and 99. And I'm not being uh, I'm not uh, going overboard here. I'm not being uh, dramatic. Ninety nine of the people on the list were guys. One was a woman. So Therese Tucker should have been on that list. <laughs> so as, as a lot of people should have been on that list. So Therese, you're going to love this episode. This may be nearly two years old, but I tell you, I listened to it again and it feels like I was just in that room and there's not much has changed except I'm a little uh, more comfortable interviewing people and today. So you'll hear kind of like the, the baby version of me interviewing people. Not that I'm that much better at it, but I feel more comfortable at it right now. So I interviewed Therese in her office in North LA and I asked her a lot of questions I was thinking about. I remember when I, when I did that interview, we were having such like financial problems at backstage. We often are <laughs> like, I don't mean problems that were unforeseen, just more like startup problems where cash flow isn't there and you're, you're trying to start a movement and the resources don't meet you where you go, where your feet land, that kind of thing where I was like, how are we going to make it? And I think we had something like, I don't know, seven employees. And I was feeling pretty, pretty bad about everyone's salaries being in the weighing in the balance of my decisions and my actions and my abilities. And I had this interview with her and she completely cleared my mind and completely gave me, without knowing it and without trying it, she completely gave me a second wind. And she doesn't know this and I hope she hears it, but she gave me a second wind that day and, and you know, I lived to see another day and backstage did too. So I really want you to listen to this one. 
It's kind of a longer one. The reason I wanted to add this one in in particular is because she bootstrapped. She started the company with nothing, like nothing. She bootstrapped it to millions and millions and millions of revenue and and hundreds of employees. And then and then she got really successful. And the people that that were ignoring her before came back and were begging her. And it's a whole it's a whole cool kind of uh, story. On top of that, I think she's in her 50s. On top of that, she has pink hair. So how could you not love that? On top of that, she's just very authentic. She says what she means. She does what she says. And she gave us like 40 minutes of her time to just lay out gym after gym. The last thing I'll say is we're going to play this in its entirety. So we're going to play it with my original introduction. And I'll say this in the introduction. I'll say it because it bears repeating. In this interview, she says a line to me that I would have tattooed on me. It's a line and and I'll describe it in in the other intro, the quick intro here. I cannot wait for you all to hear this and I can't wait to hear your feedback on it. Please let me know on Twitter and Instagram and in real life if I see you, what you think of it. Speaking of that, if you're listening to this in September, October of 2019, I'm on the road. Right now I'm in Boston. I'll be in Durham, New York, Cleveland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, a few places in Europe, Florida, and more over the next few weeks. So go to backstagecapital.com slash tour if you want to see where I will be, where I'll be speaking or just being invited to attend. Uh, Mostly speaking, though, to be honest, TBH. And come see me and, and say hi. And if you are attending any of these events, please say hi. And please know that I I go there to meet you. So even if I can't have a conversation, like a full-on conversation, or spend a lot of time with you or go get coffee or anything like that, I'm there to see you and and it, it makes my day. So I'm going to stop now. This is a long intro for a bonus episode. Get into it. I hope you're commuting right now. If you're on a plane right now, more power to you. Say hi to your neighbor. Just wave at them. Just see what they do. If you don't know them, just wave at them. Just like smile and wave with your headphones on and just like big grin and just see how long it takes them to wave back and and let me know. Report back. I'm into it. I'll see you on the other side. Hey, everyone. It's Arlen. Welcome back to the Bootstrapped VC podcast. I missed you. I missed you. I know you just heard me just a few days ago, but I've missed you so terribly. I am really excited about this episode. Could not wait to get this out to you. Let me just start you with one sentence. Therese Tucker bootstrapped her way to a billion dollar IPO. Amazing, right? Aren't you wondering why you've never heard of her? I know I did. So we trekked up to Woodland Hills last week, Brian and I, in the rain to ask her why we haven't heard of her. I got to tell you, she says in this episode, one of my favorite lines of all time. It's about pride. The line is about pride. So when she says that, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyone who is starting a company in the middle of a company on their seed, on their series A, their series B, you're going to want to listen to this. I want to give the interview as much time as possible. So I'm going to just leave it at that and let you listen. Let's get into this interview. Therese Tucker, right? People say Teresa, Therese, but it's Therese. 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 Yes. Um, 
And you are the CEO and founder of Blackline. Wonderful. You've done this before. Okay. <laughs> and we'll learn a lot more about it, but you know, not bearing the lead is that Therese bootstrapped mostly her company to an IPO in more than a billion dollar IPO, if I'm correct, right? So that's why we need to talk to her <laughs> because, okay. I mean, that's enough. We could just drop the mic right there. But, you know, the, the question is about how and, and maybe why. The why is easier than the how. The why is because when I began Blackline, I had had no experience as a CEO. I had no network. I had no customers. I had no product. And nobody in their right mind would have possibly invested in my company that was destined to fail. So the why was because that was the only way to get it done. Boom. Love that. The how is more complicated. The how is... um, sheer determination and grit, wonderful friends that would help me along the way, amazing employees that would put heart and soul into working for Blackline and uh, without getting a lot of pay and just brought their talent and their intelligence and their heart to the entire journey. And many of them are still here today, like the receptionist that you met when you walked in. And you've known her for how long? 35 years. 35 years. We've been great friends for that long. And so the how is is a little more complicated because it involves a very windy journey and a lot of help along the way. No man is an island. And so the help that I got from a lot of different people was instrumental to our success. I always say that there's no one who's self-made. Um, what would you say to that? I think that not only is no one self-made, what I always say to people is you are where you are by the grace of God. And it could have just as easily been that you got dropped on your head as an infant, and now you're sitting on the street corner with a cup. There's just, you know, one small change that might occur that changes everything. So you are where you are by the grace of God. Let's talk a little bit about what Black Line does. To give context there. Well, Blackline is what we call a SaaS provider, software as a service. We build software. We typically sell it to enterprises. Um, We started with very large companies, and then we have also now a very nicely robust mid-market business. And we help companies streamline their accounting operations. That doesn't give you a lot of information, Um, but every company out there has to do accounting. They have to close their books. They have to validate that things are correct. And the vast majority of them end up doing it very manually and in spreadsheets. And so we provide a centralized hub. It's hosted software. That's the software as a service piece. And we automate and make things much better. Wow. So can we go back and talk about, and thank you for explaining that to me in a way that I understood. I appreciate it. Uh, Can we talk about what year did you start Blackline? Founded Blackline in 2001. Okay. It was actually originally called um, Osaba, which meant I was daring in past perfect tense of Spanish. And it was a very unfortunate name because I incorporated in June 2001, right before 9-11. Wow. 
We actually had one customer that used to joke, oh, Saba been reconciled. Wow. Yeah, I'm not in marketing, and I never will be. And so uh, when we did have some dollars to spend on marketing, the very first thing that the marketing expert said is, you got to change your name. And so 2001 was our first year of incorporation. Took about nine months to get going. Got a couple employees, started to build a product in 2002, sort of ran out of money, 2004, Hmm. completely pivoted to a completely different market, which is the market that we're in now. Right. And we don't want to talk about what we were at the beginning. We can. I mean, just as Yeah, I started by building wealth management software. Okay. And uh, it was a tough market to break into because large banks didn't want to spend their uh, money with companies that had three employees and might not be around very long. Understood. And did you start that because you had a a history in that that world? Yeah, I have always worked in financial technology. That has always been my background. One of the interviews that I saw, I think it was a video interview, where, first of all, you're your hair was popping. You can't see this because it's a podcast, but Teresa's hair is pink and it's awesome. And Christy Pitts adores her <laughs> for that. <laughs> uh, I do as well, but she's a hair fan for sure. One of the interviews that I saw, you mentioned sexual harassment at previous jobs. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of leaving positions that you were in that were kind of safer maybe, at a time where you could have stayed. What was the decision like? And what was that like? You know, that was a tough decision. The last job that I quit before Blackline, I was actually the CTO. And that was difficult because I had to get peace with the fact that that might have been the pinnacle, the peak of my career. Okay. And that's a little bit scary to say, okay, you know, I'm 40, I may have peaked. All right. Wow. What's really interesting, when I think about my history and my career, I think that things are changing somewhat now. But when I was quite a bit younger, I don't think people acknowledged that sexual harassment was wrong. I think rather it was simply a part of the fabric of an organization in which you worked. Right, a little madman. And you just dealt with it. Yeah. You just dealt with it. So um, what I dealt with in terms of the environment was not my motivation for quitting. I mean, it was just, I look back and I go, wow, I probably should have said something a lot more often than I did. And it's pretty awful. And some of the men there were pretty darn gross. Yeah. But um, I had the entrepreneur bug. I wanted to build something. That was my driver. And you were working for someone else. You said you were 40 when you left or, or decided to... I'm an old to, entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I, I will not comment on that. It's not accurate. Uh, but you, you, you said you were 40. So, I mean, I can imagine... So I'm 37 now. And I can imagine that there are a lot of people... Uh, around that age right now listening to or who will listen today or listen a year from now and that was a scary moment but what gave you that freedom and that strength and the the bravery to take the leap um you know if i'd known how hard it was going to be i probably wouldn't have done it yes okay in fact there were many times when i thought oh my god what have i done i could have a lovely safe job and paycheck right now 
Uh, but really, sort of the catalyst was my daughter at the time got up one morning, and I was trying to rush her out the door to get her to preschool. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I'm just so stressed. And I thought, oh, my God, I am stressing out my kid mm. by trying to rush them out the door so that I can get to a job that I really don't want to be at. And I went in that day and turned in my notice. Wow. And so she was actually the catalyst. Now, what's funny is because both of my kids were in school by this time, turns out the kids don't, for the most part, really want like a helicopter mom. Mm. I'd be, I was like, okay, I'm going to be like the room mom. I'm going to bring brownies and cupcakes. And both of my kids are like, please don't. <laughs> please don't. Just stay away. Nobody likes the room mom. Stay away. And so it was actually a good time because my kids were old enough that they didn't require 24-hour care, but they were in school, so the flexibility was wonderful, and uh, it worked out very well. Yes, and your your daughter's a singer. What does your son do? My son actually works for Blackline. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's so awesome. Okay. I, and I, has I for that. many years. Yeah. In fact, when it was in its inception phase, I would drive him to middle school and talk about it the entire half hour drive there. Yes. Yes. So you when, you, when that was happening, were you grooming him to work here? And, and no. I was trying to be both a good mother and focus on the thing that I was really focused on, which was how do I build this company? Turns out it worked out okay, but it was kind of a cheat. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the IPO and all of that. But I do want to know a little bit about, like, what were those stressful, like the most stressful times you can remember and all of that. Again, remembering that everyone listening probably is like in the middle of that. Payroll. Payroll. Yep. Payroll. Yep. Um, Word. <laughs> we would have large companies as customers. Large companies never pay in 30 days. Hmm. They might pay in 60, they might pay in 90, they might forget about you and not pay for six months. Wow. And that can mean the difference between life and death. And even when I had just a few employees, you know, this was my dream. This was my company. It's not okay to not pay somebody. Hmm. Okay. They have bills and expenses and they're employable in other places. You have to pay your employees. And so I would um, like hope and pray for the money to come in right up until the day of payroll, and it wouldn't be there. Then I would call one of my good friends. I had two guys that I'd worked with in the past, and I would call them up. One was named Lee Reams, and I would say, Reams, can you loan me $30,000? Mm. I need it for my payroll. How did that feel? Like oh, horrible. Yeah, that you feel like a failure because they're not. They weren't You're, a bank I or am, something. At this point, I am begging. Yeah, and yeah. Beg well, you know what's interesting? Nobody wants to give up their pride, but pride is not really an asset. Okay, let's talk about that. In what do you mean by that? Um, pride keeps you from getting help when you need it. Okay, pride keeps you from acknowledging where you need to grow. Yes, it was hard. I basically had to call up my friends and beg them for money. My one friend, Reams, he would go, oh, Tucker, when do you need it by? And I would say, 11 a.m. 
And he would sigh again, and he'd go, okay, meet me at the bank in 15 minutes. I like Rames. Rames sounds like a cool character in the yeah. story. <laughs> Lee Rames is the best. It's He's, good, good I think, guy. 83 now and still just one of my best friends. Wonderful. But pride, you know, I had to overcome that because my alternative to giving up my pride was to bounce payroll and none of my employees would have gotten paid. Right. And they would have not looked at you and said, well, at least you had your pride intact. Exactly. Thanks for that. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's really powerful. And I think that's something that a lot of people need to hear, including me. It's hard. Mm. It's really hard because who wants to look weak and stupid and a failure yes. and not able to have your stuff together? You know, but the reality is none of us have our stuff together. Yeah. yeah. What do you think the turning point was then after 2004? What year was it that things started just going and you had the revenue? And You know what? People always ask about like a turning point. It was more of a long, slow climb, right? Because every dollar that we got, we'd reinvest in the company. Probably one of the turning points was I uh, got to get a salary of like $19,000 a year. Oh. I was over the moon. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, I'm coming off of... You know, you know, my prior job, I think I'd made over like 300000 a year. Yeah, and that would have been also a few years ago, too. Yeah. Oof. And so I was a well-paid technology executive. And so I remember when I got to go on Blackline's official payroll mm-hmm. as an employee, mm-hmm. and it was 19000 a year. I was like, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. I had a similar moment when I, we were able to do health insurance beca- with our team because I had never, I had not had health insurance as an adult except for like once. And I was just like, oh, we get to have health. Like, I get to be on health insurance. Yay. I get, you know, it's like, where can I go like sk- learn how to ski now? Like, yeah. <laughs> what can I do now? But uh, yeah, that is, that's powerful. So for people who are on that slow climb, do you have any advice for like taking it in or like looking at these smaller celebrations? We did have different celebrations. You know, there were, I have to say that I have friends who were so instrumental who would say, look, I think you're almost there. Don't give up. Don't give up. You're close. And that kind of encouragement, just having people that are in your court that believe in you that think that you can do it and that you trust would tell you the truth is invaluable. I think that's why I think when we we bring it back to sort of the current ecosystem and thinking about getting more funding to underrepresented founders and underestimated founders, it's also important to think about that network and that group of people who can support. And that's why that's so important too, because it is, it does take other people to say you can do it in most cases in those situations. What, how many employees do you have today? And like, where was it? I don't know. Let's kind of get like a little benchmark of um, today. What would it be? I think we're right around 800. Today. 800 employees. And what cities? All in, all in? 10 countries around the world. 10 countries. What? <laughs> I mean, the reason I'm so surprised by this is like, Teresa's like so down to earth and cool. And like, She's running 800, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a little, you know, behind the scenes stuff, but like 800 people. I don't know everybody's name anymore. Yeah. When did that happen? When do you think that happened? Uh, You know, um, probably around the 300 mark. 300 though. That's pretty good. I've always thought about like, where would it? I think it's like 150 is like the normal. But but you were tried for 300. I did. When did you stop interviewing? Oh. Personally. A while before that. 
I mean, probably at 50 or 60. Okay. You can't micromanage people. Wow. I think there's a lot there. There's an entire conversation there about just those ins and outs. Because a lot of times people don't get to see the, the behind the scenes of stuff like that. So you're at 800 now. When did you have your IPO? In October of 2016. So we've been publicly traded for a year and a half now. And I, it's, I, it is humble bragging, but I'm giving you the permission to do so. What did that, what did you end the day with there, with that, with that? <laughs> <laughs> Just to give context, you know. Um, at the end of the day, we had a gala at the New York Public Library. Oh. Black tie gala. Oh, okay. To celebrate. Okay. I heard also there was some sort of wig situation. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, that was really sweet. My employees and my board had a big box of pink wigs and they all put a pink wig on yeah. and we took pictures both in front of the NASDAQ bell and outside with everybody wearing a pink wig. That was sweet. I mean, that had to be just a moment. So when you're looking at that, um, we won't get into too much of it, but like, what did you go out? Do you remember how much the stocks were or do you remember any of those kind of um, details? Oh boy. I, it was quite a process Okay, and it was, about two weeks of nonstop travel right up to the IPO. This roadshow situation. Yes, yes, where you go out and you basically sell investors and then they put in orders, mm. all right? And you want to be oversubscribed. Then the night before the IPO, you sit down with bankers and board and other people and you go through all of the orders and you decide who gets what. Mm. And you also decide on what the opening price is going to be. I thought that that was the opening price. It's not. It's the price that the investors get the stock at. Right. So our opening price, I believe, was 17, 16 or 17. Now you ring the bell, and then nothing happens for a couple of hours. It's because they start gathering up trades going back and forth until they actually have enough to put a price out there publicly. And so our first price out there, I think, was around 24. Ooh. I mean, did you have this moment to yourself where you were like, holy shit? No, actually, <laughs> never had no, that. Never had it. We were moving, we were doing too much. Yeah. It was too busy. Yeah. It was too much like get in this plane, fly here, get on the, you know, get in a car, talk to these people, go to the next place, get to the next plane, get yeah. back to here, have these meetings, show up there do these interviews, be on TV. You know, it was a nonstop round. For you, was it, did it feel a little bit like a starting line, like a starting bell for you? No. You know what I compare it to is a wedding. An IPO is like a wedding because it's great. It's an interesting, fun day. You get a cool dress for it. <laughs> and But the real work is in the marriage. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, great. That was a one-day event. That was nice and interesting. Now let's get back to running the company. Hmm. Let's build something that has value. This is like hitting home to me so much. Not that anything that I've done is on any level of that, but like. You're only 37. Well, yeah. It took me almost 20 more years. That's right. That's right. Well, the thing is like <laughs> people are always like saying, well, how did you feel about that? Or that article or that thing or that amount. And I'm like, man, I'm working. So I don't, I don't, exactly. I think of it as like, oh, cool. You know, like that happened. But when you're moving, you're not sitting around looking backwards. Yeah. You're trying to move forwards. Yeah. And that's very much what we're doing at Blackline. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of founders who kind of do the opposite and, and make that, I think it's a mistake to sort of celebrate too early or to, you know, not focus enough 
early days because of some, like maybe, you know, there's this whole thing of you get a $1.5 million uh, announcement in TechCrunch, you know, everyone's celebrating and... It's not free money. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's money so that you can go work. Exactly. Can you tell me a little bit about that story you told me about the CEO search? If not, we can just uh, erase um, it. In early days, I think it was around 2006, we considered taking on venture capital. So we got a presentation. We got a guy to help us. We did, yeah. I'm not kidding, probably 30 trips up to Sand Hill Road, right? Because that's where most of the VCs are located is up in NorCal. And they all seem to get offices on Sand Hill Road. We had some good meetings, but we had some that were not okay. Uh, but one in particular, they said, wow, you have done a really nice job building this business. You know, we'd love to invest. And we have got a great CEO who can take it from here. And I, I thought, hmm, okay, well, I've never been a CEO before this job. Maybe somebody who's experienced could do a better job. Right. Right? So you're I, open to the idea of... Well, of, I didn't love the idea. But you're open to meeting whoever they're But you know what? About. When you've already given up your pride, yeah. <laughs> then you are able to consider whether or not something might be in the best interest of, of the Of someone else. Yeah, because this is like, could be I correlated with money. to yeah. be successful. Somebody could have invested if this were to work. Right. right. So we uh, set up a meeting where I sat down to lunch with this guy. And uh, during that lunch, it's about a two-hour lunch... He talked about himself the entire time. And he talked about his second wife, who was much younger oh, and apparently very beautiful, <laughs> and his home renovation project, which is why he wouldn't actually move down to Los Angeles. Instead, he would move the sales part of the business up there oh, Lord. and leave me with the programmers because they don't really matter. And... Um, didn't really ask anything about the company at all. And so I went back to the VC and I, I was actually quite puzzled. I was like, you know, did I have lunch with the wrong guy? Like, is that, <laughs> that, that guy was your rock star. <gasps> and uh, they were then puzzled. They were like, yes, he is. <laughs> mm. But needless to say, I came to the conclusion that in spite of my lack of experience, that I would still be a better CEO for Blackline than that gentleman would have made. Wow, wow. So another example of a time where you could have taken an easier, quote-unquote, route for yourself, personally, could have been like, oh, there's money in the bank now, there's someone else steering the ship, I can back up a little bit. Not and, if they crash the ship. Yeah. Then I gotta, then I yeah. gotta try to rescue it. So, you so don't, no, that wasn't easier. I'm going to steal from another podcaster who asked me this question. Do you, do you think of any of this as risk or does it just seem like the thing oh, yeah. to do? You do. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you feel that you, risk. Oh, I can, I can remember, you know, when I was putting everything I had into it, when I got rid of all my savings, right? All of my options, all of my, um, I had taken out an extra loan on my house. I had maxed out my credit cards. I had late mortgage payments. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I am going to have to start completely over. I am going to, everything I had saved is gone. This thing is going to fail wildly. And I am going to start from scratch. 
and that's terrifying. Yeah, there's a ton of risk. But at the same time, you go, okay, I'm almost there, maybe just a little longer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you now think that that was worth it? Does it feel worth it to you? Of course. But you know what? Not for maybe why you might think. It's not because of the money, but it's because I look at Blackline kind of like a child. It's grown up, all right? It is um, sustained by many people other than me. It serves many people. It serves our customers, our companies, all the people in those companies. It serves our employees. You're going to make me cry for a minute here. That's the coolest thing. That's why it's worth it. That's why it's worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, Give me a moment. (laughs) Yes. It hit. No, it just hits me. It hits me really. um, I'm I'm in the middle of it right now, and like knowing, I know why it's worth it. But like hearing it from someone who's made it to the other side is really helpful. Seems like a pretty wide chasm sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it does. (laughs) I know, man. (laughs) People are getting me like this is cool. Okay, we're good. Let's think of something fun. Um, I mean, this. Tell me a little bit about. Like, you know, I kind of am obsessed with the idea of seeing you on the cover of Forbes and Fast Company and every other magazine there is. But I'm not. (laughs) We'll sneak it. I don't know how we'll sneak it, but we'll sneak this picture. But the reason is because of representation. Because you represent so many things that I think are like strong and, and, and missing in the representation field. You know, like you're, you just are inspiring. And I'm a woman in a tech field. That's sort of rare right there. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, and I you mean t- at the front, at the as a, in a leadership position. Yeah, in a in leadership, a and you've taken yeah. the company to just the greatest. I mean, I talk about this all the time. Where, where one day in the next eighteen months, I think a black woman or a Latina will exit their company in this big way that will send ripples through the ecosystem, and you've done that, but you have you've kind of flown under the radar personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that a personal decision? Yes. Can you tell me why? Um, Because I don't get a tremendous amount of joy out of doing media. Oh, (laughs) as we hold uh, microphones in a media room. No, uh, (laughs) what I enjoy doing is building a company. Yeah. That's what I enjoy doing. I don't have a, a a lot of times people like to be in media because it feeds their ego. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feed my ego. Right. I like to I like to build stuff. If the company's successful, that makes me really happy. Word. And I appreciate that and I respect that a great deal. Now I do do podcasts, speeches yeah. when I'm asked for the most part, because I do think that women are underrepresented. Mm-hmm. All right. And I do think it's necessary for younger women to have role models. Right. All right. I think it's um, necessary for them to feel supported and mentored and yeah. look at somebody and go, yeah, I can do that too. And so for that reason, yeah, I think you're it's doing important this. to do. Yes. And I think, and I yes. think um, let me make it clear, I think you're a role model for men as well. This company, you know, is the bomb. So you're a role model across the board. Men have lots of role models. Yeah, so. yeah. But I'm just, I just want to make sure that that's clear, that I'm not just saying, you know, you have this responsibility, right? Um do you know much about Backstage Capital? No. 
No. So <laughs> we'll stop there. Stop the tape. No, um, no. So I mean, I know that you, one of the reasons that we initially met is yeah. because you are championing underserved people, whether right. it's minorities or women who struggle to get funding. Right. And I've experienced that. Probably every woman I know has experienced that. And so I think that what you're doing with Backstage Capital is very valuable. Cool. And I think, thank you very much. And I I like your story so much because the more I work on Backstage, I've been working on it for about five years, had the fund for about two and a half. We've invested now in 80 companies, which is amazing. But the more I work on it, the, the more... People are finding, underestimated people are finding ways to do it without venture capital. Mm -hmm. And more and more, seeing more and more examples of why that's okay. You know, one of the reasons it's okay? Why is that? You retain ownership and control of Mm -hmm. your company. Mm -hmm. You're able to reap the benefit of all your hard work in a way that you can't if you give up most of the company early on. Yeah. And I, I, you know, this podcast is called The Bootstrapped VC. So we are a VC firm. I'm constantly saying things on here where it's like the opposite of what a VC should say. <laughs> like, don't take our money, basically. But it, I don't think that any VC can argue with me when it, when it comes to that. Like, there are very specific times and reasons to take venture capital money. And you have to really walk into that knowingly. And a That's lot of people right. don't when they go on that journey for VC money. They just think... In some cases, they think, I need money. This is a good chunk of money at a time. And I, you know, I've been there too. I understand how that feels. But you give up control yeah. of your company. Yeah. And your vision may or may not coincide with the vision of the VC. Did people come back later? Oh, yeah. Did you get people like ringing you and saying, hey, let's do lunch? Um, yeah, absolutely. They still ring. What do you say to them or what do you think I of that? I say thank you. I probably don't have a lot of bandwidth for lunch right now. <laughs> That's that shade. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> but what do you think about it? Um, is it funny to you? Is it um, just another thing? You know, what we do, if you don't understand the field of accounting, then you probably don't understand the value of our business. Mm. And that, frankly, is most VCs out there. And so I don't fault them for not understanding the value of our business. I don't fault uh, investors that don't understand the value. You know, really? It's, it's really our customers that I need to understand the value. And everything else will flow from that. Mm. Was there ever a time when your traction was really good and you were still confused as to why people weren't investing? Less about the investing and more about the customer adoption rate. Mm. Because what we do is such a no-brainer in terms of the value and the visibility and the, the just the better operations that it provides for companies that I thought after we came out with our first product that everybody in the world would buy it overnight. Turns out accountants are a very uh, conservative group of buyers that don't necessarily like change. And so I am still surprised that we have not grown bigger, faster. Hmm. And so that that's still an opportunity and a challenge for you. Yes. To, it's not, it has, that wasn't the finish line. You, oh, you, no. There's a lot more to oh, can no, I'm do. I'm still building. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's so interesting. I bet that's fun. Like, what is your typical day like these days with this fuel now that you have? Um, 
Well, you know, now I, one of the things that I did, I did sell a majority of Blackline to Silver Lake Sumeru and Iconic mm. at the end of 2013. Interesting. Yeah. And that was really, um, I had actually considered retiring. Instead, I sort of re-engaged. But as part of that process, I brought in a round of essentially seasoned C-suite executives uh, to help me scale it to the next level. And so my day now is much more interacting with my team of executives in all of their respective business areas that they run. Do you enjoy that? I do. I do. It's a lot of meetings. It's uh, one of the things that you learn in your career is the more you manage, sort of the less you do and the more you enable other people to do. Mm -hmm. Probably naturally, I would gravitate towards being more of a doer. So that takes some adjustment. But when you have really talented, capable people that are better at what they do than you are, it's easier to let go. Right. Right, because there was many years of that build up to be in that position to do that. Where I was hands on, yeah, sleeves rolled up yeah. every day, day in, yeah. day out. I'm less that now. I'm just remembering those two disaster. Oh wow! There's Sorry, our our our, our guest producer Maddie is here. Undervalued. Oh no no it's it. Don't don't put me on. doesn't want to, Maddie does not want to be on the podcast. Absolutely not. No, let's talk about Maddie. Yeah, let's talk about Maddie. Who is Maddie? Therese. Maddie is my chief of staff. And Maddie is also the person who introduced me to you. Yes, she is. Maddie, I think, knows everybody. It's a weird thing. It's different than me. Low key. She just said she doesn't want to be in the podcast. That's cool. I respect that. But we'll that. just talk about her. These talking points were. Hello. How are you guys? Let's, let's, I want to talk about Maddie. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Because I, for about a year and a half before I met Maddie, was interviewing different candidates for chief of staff. I just could not bring myself to hire any of them Mm. because a chief of staff position is different company to company. It can be anything from a glorified secretary to your number two person that runs the business. And so it's a very wide range in terms of how people define it. I also very much set out, I wanted a female chief of staff because I wanted to use that as an opportunity to mentor someone. All right. I interviewed a number of very earnest young women with um, very large MBA degrees and usually a couple of other degrees besides that, and just didn't sort of find the right one. Maddie tracked me down after hearing me speak at some luncheon for some women's group. And um, I met her briefly there, and she figured out what my email address was. And she (laughs) hunted me down to go to lunch. I so enjoyed my lunch with her. I so enjoyed her very individual style, her intelligence, her persistence, that I ended up offering her, oh, and by the way, she was in school. Her next semester, she was supposed to go abroad to Hong Kong. I ended up offering her the job on the spot. And we both looked at each other like, that's the craziest thing ever. 
Maddie, what was it like? You have to tell me. So I was just walking out and I was about to get in the elevator and she dropped that bomb. So I was like, okay, uh, I'll get back to you. And I was at USC, so this is in Woodland Hills. So I had a very long Uber ride and was like, I'm stupid if I don't take this opportunity. And then told my parents that probably wasn't going back to school for a little bit. This was in April. Oh, it was. Oh, yeah. wow. It's been like a year. Yeah, it's almost been a year. And then, We've got one year coming up. And I started working here in September. So what's interesting about that yeah. is that Maddie doesn't have the credentials on paper, okay? But the hilarious thing is that she is super comfortable telling everybody what to do <laughs> or telling them when they're not doing it well or when she thinks it could be done in a better way. Yeah. And she does it in a very nice way. She doesn't annoy people. She's got tremendous people skills. And so on paper, I probably never would have interviewed her. Uh, turns out that the instinct to hire her was an excellent one. Yeah, wonderful. What do you think the takeaway from that is for someone? Is it to trust your instincts? Is it to hire outside of the normal processes? Or is it to get you a Maddie? <laughs> I could be all of yeah, the above. Yeah. Could be all of the above. But, you know, um, give people a chance, right? Give people an opportunity and see if they rise up to it. It's been really fun with Maddie because I sort of toss things her way, you know, things that she has no idea what I'm talking about or what she should actually do mm -hmm. and watch her go, okay, I'm game. I'll tackle it. Sometimes she brings a really nice, fresh perspective or a way of doing it that people that have done it a million times wouldn't have. She's of tremendous value. I think that's a great way to wrap things up. It's paying it forward, but also reaping those benefits. It's actually too. not, right? Yeah, it's, it's, reap, it's reaping those benefits, though. I'm working her to death. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll talk later, Maddie. We'll, we'll do a side interview. We'll get the scoop. Yeah, we'll get the inside scoop. Anyone who wants to check out the product can. What size companies would be someone? We have some very small companies. Okay. But in general, we say companies with 50 million in revenue and up. Okay. 50 million yeah. in revenue we have, up. We have companies that are much smaller that do use it, but they start to get more value as they get bigger. Understood. Understood. So, and then it's Blackline, what's the website? Dot com. Oh, simple enough. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for your time. My mind is still boggled by the 800 people thing. So I appreciate the fact that you gave us this amount of time. And, My pleasure. And um, I wish you all the best. And if there's anything that I can ever do to, to help, please let me know. Thank you. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And... It'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. 